You're listening to Comedy Central. September 5th, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Tonight is a White House correspondent and Sarah Huckabee Sanders sparring partner. April Ryan is joining us, everybody. And she's here to talk about her new book, Under Fire, reporting from the front lines of the Trump White House. But first, let's catch up on today's headlines. By now, you've probably seen the story about Jeffrey Owens, right? The former Cosby Show cast member who was spotted working at a Trader Joe's. Now, some people online were trying to ridicule Jeffrey for going from being on a hit TV show to bagging groceries, which is just ridiculous, right? Working is not shameful. And working at Trader Joe's is not the worst thing a former Cosby Show star could be caught doing. (laughs) Nothing else comes to mind at this time, but it's not that bad. (laughs) Anyway, since the story went viral, it looks like it's had a happy ending. Jeffrey Owens, who once acted on The Cosby Show, could soon return to TV. Last week, a photo of Owens recently bagging groceries at a Trader Joe's in New Jersey went viral. Some called it job shaming. But his work caught the attention of filmmaker Tyler Perry. And today, Perry tweeted to Owens that he's shooting a new drama and to come join us. I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined this. Like, what's a way that you can get a lot of publicity? Take a job at Trader Joe's. That's right. This is so amazing. Jeffrey Owens is going to be in the new Tyler Perry project, which is really good news. The bad news is that project is Medea goes to Trader Joe's. (laughs) Moving on, Catholic priests are in the news again. In Florida, two priests were arrested for committing lewd acts on each other. (laughs) Yeah which might get them into trouble with the church, but that sounds like a good news story to me. (laughs) Two adults having consensual sex, hallelujah. (laughs) That's pretty dope. And uh, the Pope seemed pretty stoked about this news, judging by his comments. You wanna talk miracles? They are both over 18. Two adults, just a midday quickie and a PT cruiser. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Ah, it's a miracle. All right, moving on. Uh, It's back to school all over the world. And in China, one principal made sure that this year was extra memorable. When you drop your kid off at kindergarten this morning, you probably aren't expecting to be met with a pole dancing display. But that's exactly what happened in China. And now a principal is, well, out of the job. Hundreds of children and parents watched as a pole dancer performed on a flagpole with the Chinese flag on top. Wow. (laughs) Wow. The principal brought a pole dancer to a kindergarten. (laughs) That is hilarious. It's also funny how they said hundreds of children and parents watched that pole dancer, right? Because you realize the parents could have stopped it immediately, but clearly they were like, this is outrageous. Let's see where it goes. Let's see where it goes. (laughs) Let's see how it ends. I want to see how this goes. But I also feel bad for that woman, though, because if you're a pole dancer, a kindergarten is not a good gig. Like, they don't even have a real DJ. (laughs) They probably just have, like, one of the kids in the corner playing a recorder, (laughs) right? And you just gotta do your thing. (laughs) 
and stuck her fat in his hat and called it macaroni. That's not sexy. That's not sexy at all. By the way, I only take singles. Okay, I, uh, <laughs> and like, I understand why people are upset, but if you think about it, this is actually a good idea. I think, if you think strip clubs are bad influences, then we should put them into schools, right? Because kids never want to do the things that they did in school. So when they grow up, someone will be like, you want to go to a strip club? And they'll be like, no. That's like a, like a field trip. Get a life, nerd. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our top story. You know how every day we think to ourselves, there's no way this presidency could get any crazier? <laughs> well, today, once again, we were proven wrong. Breaking news. We're following major breaking news. A senior Trump administration official admits to being part of a battle inside the White House to frustrate the president's agenda and his worst impulses until he leaves office. The New York Times publishing the unprecedented op-ed anonymously. The author delivering a blistering assessment of the president. Holy shit. <laughs> There's a secret group of people within the White House actively working to curb President Trump, which is wild because this means this whole time we've been dealing with the watered-down version of Trump? <laughs> You're telling me that this is the better version? <laughs> like, I thought this was, this was the peak of crazy. This is Diet Trump? That's what you're saying? <laughs> Yo, that's like finding out two girls, one cup was the PG version of the clip. <laughs> yeah. Like, what was the R-rated version? There was no cup? What the hell are you telling me? And this anonymous official talks a lot about how bad things are. So bad, in fact, that Trump's cabinet even considered a drastic move that has never been done before. This official goes on to say this. Given the instability many witnessed, there were early whispers within the cabinet of evoking the 25th Amendment, which would start a complex process for removing the president. But no one wanted to precipitate a constitutional crisis, so we will do what we can to steer the administration in the right direction until, one way or another, it is over. Okay, wait, what? So Trump is such a danger to America that his cabinet thought about using the 25th Amendment to remove him from office, but then they decided not to use it because it would be too messy? The 25th Amendment is there so that you can use it. It's like there's a sign that says, in case of emergency, break glass, but then these guys are like, I mean, we could break the glass, but then there'd be glass everywhere. I mean, maybe we can just try steer the fire in a different direction. It's less dramatic. Yeah, let's talk to it. And now, people are wondering why this anonymous official revealed all of this in the first place, but apparently, it's to make us all feel better. The official writes, it may be cold comfort in this chaotic era, but Americans should know that there are adults in the room. We fully recognize what is happening, and we are trying to do what's right, even when Donald Trump won't. Okay, that doesn't make me feel any better. <laughs> because before this, I knew there was turbulence. But now someone just came on the PA system and was like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the pilot is actively trying to crash the plane. <laughs> but don't be alarmed. We're doing everything we can to stop him. Mikey's got a pretty good choke cold and I've said some pretty harsh words. So please keep your seatbelts fastened and enjoy your peanuts and tax cuts. <laughs> this is wild. <laughs> and now... And now Trump is already calling the whole thing fake news. That was predictable, but the crisis the crisis atmosphere inside the White House was already being corroborated this week by legendary journalist Bob Woodward, right? He's written about presidents for the past 50 years. 
And he's one of the reporters who broke Watergate and forced Nixon to resign. So he's as legit as they get. Bob Woodward's bombshell book is rocking the White House this morning. Bob Woodward describes the Trump presidency in the midst of a nervous breakdown. The book also a remarkable portrait of aides taking extreme measures to block their boss. Former economic advisor Gary Cohn reportedly preventing the president from withdrawing from a trade agreement with South Korea by swiping a letter off his desk. Yes, you heard that correctly. <laughs> Donald Trump can be made to forget about a major policy decision the same way a baby forgets about its parents when they play peekaboo. <laughs> Just like, well, I can't see your face anymore, so I guess you're gone forever. <laughs> I'm an orphan now, very sad, folks, very tragic. <laughs> He's gone. And Woodward's book also gives us a glimpse into how Trump's legal team is preparing him to be interviewed by Robert Mueller. And unfortunately, it's not as simple as stealing papers off of his desk. Woodward describing the president's one-time lead attorney, John Dowd, so convinced the president would commit perjury, he staged a practice interview last January. That session so rocky, Woodward reports Mr. Dowd later told Mr. Trump, don't testify. It's either that or an orange jumpsuit. Don't testify or you'll end up in an orange jumpsuit. How badly did Trump have to lie in a fake interview for his lawyer to tell him that? It was like, okay, Mr. President, let's practice. Uh, please state your name. Michael Pence, damn it! <laughs> and by the way, by, by the way, orange jumpsuit is also what Melania calls Trump's naked body. Yeah. <laughs> and look, and look, I know it can be fun to hear all this dirt on Trump coming from his lawyers or his economic advisor, but what's not as much fun is when it's coming from the guy who's in charge of the bombs. And after the president told Defense Secretary James Mattis he wanted to assassinate Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad for a chemical attack on civilians, Mattis reportedly told the president on the phone he would do it, but then telling a senior aide, quote, we're not going to do any of that. <laughs> Yo, this is incredible, man. The commander in chief ordered an assassination of a foreign leader and his secretary of defense just ignored him like he was an Amber Alerts. That was it. And apparently under Trump, military operations now work like Bumble. Like Trump can't initiate it. He has to wait for the military to swipe. And then if they're both into it, they can assassinate someone together. That's how it works. <laughs> so look, obviously all of this stuff is crazy, but at some point, I think we've got to stop saying that it's a bombshell, right? I mean, Trump is just doing a lot more Trump than we thought he would, but it's not a bombshell. Like the day it comes out that Trump secretly works out and reads Shakespeare and teaches kids how to code, that's when we can call it a bombshell, right? <laughs> right now, these motherfuckers just need to break the glass. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Show. So, it's day two of our continuing coverage of the Supreme Court confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh, which means it's another time and another episode of So You Think You Can Judge. Today was day two of confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh, and it had a lot to live up to because day one was, to use a legal term, a shit show, right? <laughs> you had liberal protesters being kicked out. You had angry Democratic senators demanding the hearings be canceled. And that's not even counting when Kavanaugh failed the cinnamon challenge. Yeah. 
He was like, oh, so you can judge me, but you can't even hold your spices? Get the f*** out of here, man. <laughs> but, but for some reason, uh, the moment from yesterday that got the most buzz was this. Yesterday at the Kavanaugh hearings, uh, a lot of people online talking about the woman over his shoulder. Her name is Zena Gelman-Bass. She's a former Kavanaugh clerk. She was accused of making a white supremacist hand gesture right there. during yesterday's hearing. Okay, this, this is a tough one. I mean, it, it looks like that white power sign, but it could just be how her hand is resting. Like, like I don't know if we can look at this picture and definitively say that because of that woman, Donald Trump prefers white people. Like, I don't... But I think if we zoom in on another part of the picture, like, I think we might... Oh, there we go. Yeah, we might be onto something. Yeah. And by the way, white supremacists, be original, right? This is not the white power sign. This is okay. That's what the sign means. <laughs> like, you can't just take a sign that everybody knows and say it means something new, right? This means okay. Just like this means I approve, not white people are number one, okay? <laughs> Like, stop trying to make people accidental races. If white supremacists want a hand sign, you just make one up for yourselves, like every other gang member does in the country. And it has to be new and very elaborate, so there's no doubt. Like, here's one that you can try. What you can do is you can cross your middle finger and your ring finger on your left hand, right? And then what you can do is you stick your right thumb up your butt. And then <laughs> when we see that, we can all agree, oh, that dude's in the master race. Yeah, that's the master race. I like that. Now, now, yesterday was devoted just to opening statements. Today, the senators asked Brett Kavanaugh questions about his positions on various legal issues, and Brett Kavanaugh avoided answering them. Does the president have the ability to pardon somebody in exchange for a promise from that person they wouldn't testify against him? Sarah, I'm not going to answer hypothetical questions uh, of yeah. that sort. Can a sitting president be required to respond to a subpoena? So that's a, a hypothetical question. I can't give assurances on a specific hypothetical. I don't think it's my role to say one way or another. Yeah, who am I to judge? Who am I? I mean, come on. Like, honestly, I, I don't get the point of these hearings. I mean, if the nominees don't have to answer the questions, then why are we doing this? And, and by the way, it isn't just Kavanaugh, right? Every Supreme Court nominee avoids answering questions about how they'll do their job, which is strange for me, because you could never get away with this at any other job, right? You can't be at an interview and they're like, so where do you see yourself in five years? You're like, that's a hypothetical. I, I'm not gonna answer that. And you're like, okay, what value are you gonna provide the company? Yeah, that's really not my role to say. You're like, say no more, you've got the job. So bottom line, Today was just senators asking questions and Kavanaugh ducking all day. A lot of words with nothing happening. A real Senate kind of day. Although there was one exchange that stood out. Let me ask you a personal question. What's the dirtiest, hardest job you've ever had in your life? I worked construction when I was uh, the summer uh, after I was 16. My dirtiest job I ever had was four summers working in a slaughterhouse. It was unbearable. It was dirty. It was hot. Things I did were unimaginable, and I wouldn't even start to repeat them. I, I, feel, like, I feel like that senator was just using the hearing to deal with his own personal shit. He was just like, let me, let me ask you something, judge. After you've ripped out a pig's tongue through its throat, 
the life draining from its eyes, its kids watching you, each one knowing that they're gonna be next. Will you think that life is worth living then? And be like, uh, well, I don't wanna get into hypotheticals. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a White House correspondent for American Urban Radio Networks, a CNN political analyst and author of the new book, Under Fire, reporting from the front lines of the Trump White House. Please welcome April Ryan. Wow. Welcome to the show. It's lovely to be here. It's so amazing having you, especially on your birthday. Happy birthday. On my birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you for the cake. Yeah? You, what, do you, what did you want, if you had like one wish, what would you have for your birthday? Mm, I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you just got it all. I know, I know exactly what it is. <laughs> I feel like it's someone leaving office. That's probably oh. what, what, that's what I'll get. Uh, no, um, let's, let's talk about the book. Let's talk about your career. Um, so. I first knew you from the White House briefings. I yes. think many people in America started knowing April Ryan from those White House briefings. Before that this administration. Yes, before yes. this administration. People go, oh, there's April Ryan, she asked the questions. You were, you were, you know, part of the crew. You were asking questions of different leaders. Under Trump, though, mm. it feels like you have a different role, and you speak about that in the book, under fire. Do you consider yourself under fire? Yes, I'm Ward Upon, W-A-R-R-E-D, Upon. Um, I don't have a different role. It's the same role. It's just this administration looks at what I ask in a different way. Trevor, I have asked questions from Bill Clinton to now, and I think I'm an equal opportunity offender. I've had people tell me, remember when the NAACP didn't like you? Remember when the Congressional Black Caucus didn't like you? Remember when the Obama administration didn't like you? Remember when the George W. Bush administration didn't like you? Right. Remember when the Bill Clinton administration didn't like you? I ask questions for answers and for truth. And this administration, for some strange reason, you know, they're lumped into the same boat as the others who said, oh, she might be asking questions that we don't like, but they've taken it to another degree. In what way? Trying to discredit me, trying to kill my career, trying to make me look as if I'm someone that I'm not. Right. I am a journalist. I'm not an activist journalist. I'm just a journalist who's activist, who is an activist for truth, who is activating the freedom of the press and, right. and, and walking in that. Because if we don't ask those questions, you're not going to find out what's happening. And it's about us being in that room, able to freely and independently ask the president of the United States questions for the American public to get answers. And John McCain was absolutely right, Trevor Noah, if, um, and I gave you your whole government name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... John McCain was absolutely right. He said, you know, if the press is suppressed or oppressed, it begins dictatorship. And I'm, I, I'm really questioning what's happening now. Are we democracy? Or are we going down another path? Do you feel like you're getting answers, though? Because I watch those briefings. You spend all your time asking so many questions. I see how vexed you get as reporters and as journalists together. Do you feel like that, that room has a purpose now under Trump? The room always has a purpose. It's about transparency. And do we get answers? We get the answers that they want to give us. It may not necessarily be the truth. It could be spin. Um, 
They're insulting our intelligence a lot of times, particularly right now with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I think of something just, I heard the crowd. <laughs> um, uh, my dear friend Sarah and her pie, yes. Um, no, particularly with Sarah, sometimes I wonder, does she really know what's going on? And then is she spinning? You know, I think about there's one example that really sticks out to me, and it was recent, where the president went to a rally and he said, you know, when, when you go to the grocery store and you need your ID card, we were right, like, what? Right, right. And then the next day, Sarah had to presplain, you know, mansplaining. Uh-huh. Or, you know, he said this, <laughs> but this is what he meant. I mean, seriously, that's what's happening. <laughs> And she said, well, you know, when the president said that he was talking about beer and wine, we were like, no, that's not what he said. He said, when you go to a grocery store, you need your ID card. So it's a time for us to use critical thinking and really see what's going on because we're at a critical time. We're at a time of crisis, political crisis. We're at a national security crisis. There's so much on the table, but this president smiles and acts like it's okay, and it's not. It's, 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 there's no denying that America's press for a very long time, especially the mainstream press, has had uh, a particularly white male-dominated skew, right? And so in that press room, you have a unique position, and you talk about this in the book. You, you're in a position where you are a journalist, but you cannot deny where you come from. You cannot deny who you are as a person. Do you think that maybe some of their retaliatory feeling towards you is that it feels like you're doing something that's oppositional because you're a black woman? It feels like, mm, I would say, if you can taste it, smell it, touch it, it is what it is. Um, (laughs) It's the truth. Right. Washington has been and still is a white male-dominated town. Even when Barack Obama was president of the United States, it was still a white male-dominated town. And for, for many, they don't want to relinquish what has been tradition or history. Mm -hmm. I just happen to be a black woman who is a journalist, who asks questions on everything. You know, I asked about Russia and Sean Spicer told me to stop shaking my head. I asked about the NFL and I'm called a name from the the podium. Mm -hmm. I'm called rude. Um, And I asked the president of the United States, you know, Mr. President, are you a racist? Now I'm on a blacklist. You know, but what's happened to me has not happened to many of the other reporters in that room. And I'm going to give you another example. Charlottesville was a watershed moment for this president. Mm -hmm. That weekend that Charlottesville happened, I was in New Orleans receiving the Journalist of the Year Award for 2017. And that weekend that I got it that Saturday, that Sunday morning, the next day, there was this this campaign ad for President Trump talking about the reporters were trying to thwart his agenda. Right. The only reporter in that video was me, a White House correspondent. I was the only White House correspondent in that ad. The rest happened to be news anchors. Rachel Maddow, uh, Don Lemon, Anderson Cooper, Wolf Blitzer. I'm the only one. The weekend of Charlottesville. They put a target on my head. Not one other journalist until recently has had that happen to them. Why? Because I ask questions. So if you ask me, is it about race? That's a lot of it to to stir up the, the pot for for his base. It's interesting that you, you tried, and you talk about this in the book, you tried to reach out to Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I did. You said, let's, let's, let's squash this beef. Let's... I did. Which, which I, found, I, I found admirable, and, and, and at the same time, I, I, I want to say a little naive, because I only have the image of her as Sarah, so I go like, why would you think that anything good would come of it? But you genuinely believe that if you could sit down with her and have dinner, that a, a human being would meet you on the other side. Oh, <laughs> 
Um, you know, some people may think she's an alien, but I don't. Um, even in the midst of all that's happened to right. me. Um, you know, Sarah is a person like I'm a person. She's a mother. I'm a mother. And when we had dinner, we broke bread. Um, it was We tried to come together on the commonality. Um, we talked about church. We talked about ourselves. We talked about our death threats, you know. She, with her death threats in mind, you know, right. were on the table. But what could not happen is a continuance of a friendly adversarial relationship. And that's what I had been working with for years, for two decades before she came in. Now, mind you, I started the job at the White House when she was in high school in Arkansas, okay? So that's saying a lot. I'm older than she is, and the lack of respect for someone who understands Washington is evident in that briefing room. But anyway, so she said to me one day after the Pygate thing that I really started as a joke. It was just a joke. Right. And I didn't realize the influence I had on social media. And, I, and it just blew up. And she said, where did we go wrong? And I said, let's do dinner. We said, let's do this. She's like, yes, great. And I thought that was a great moment. But the reason why we could never move past all of this animosity is because she's playing to her boss, the president of the United States of America, who clearly tells her he does not like me, who clearly says things, wow. you know, treat her this way. But, you know, this is not the the traditional political game of politics, the whereas, thus, thus thou art, right. you know, therefores. This is a street gutter game. Street peep street. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Trevor. Happy birthday. Thank you, Trevor. Under fire. Fascinating. Blunt. April Wire. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.